Is it really true that God became much nicer when we left the Old Testament and moved into the New? Today on The Voice of Prophecy, I'll tell you what old Louie told me, and then I'll tell you why old Louie was wrong. Old Louis was easily one of the most interesting people I've ever met. His house was an absolute pigsty, the result of some 80 years of hoarding and a decided lack of female influence. Louis kept everything he ever owned. There was this tiny winding trail through the living room that took you through massive piles of magazines and papers and what appeared to be old car parts. His kitchen hadn't been cleaned in decades, or at least it looked like that. And whatever car parts didn't fit inside the house were scattered in the yard just outside the kitchen window. Honestly, you wanted to eat before you went to Louie's house, so you had an excuse to turn down his hospitality. Now, I don't mean that in a mean way. Louie's long gone, and may he rest in peace. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just telling the truth. I have a really strong stomach. I'm not a fussy eater, but I'm telling you, there was no way I would eat from Louie's kitchen. There was no way that I wanted to be eating when he pulled out his stack of medical photos because he always pulled that thing out. I do my own doctoring, he'd say, because I don't trust those doctors at the hospital. Just look at what they did to me. And then he'd show me these photos, these post-surgical photos where he's half naked with big scars and tubes coming out of very uncomfortable parts of his abdomen. Now, again, I've got a strong stomach, but those photos were not for the faint of heart. Now, after Louis did the usual, after he showed me his battle scars, he'd usually tell me a story or two about transporting animals in 50 below weather in the old days and then he'd tell me how much he hated the trucking company next door because he was convinced they were trying to kill him with their exhaust fumes. And I mean, kill him on purpose. And then Louis would always move on to theology, and he always said the same thing. Listen, Pastor, the God of the New Testament, that's Jesus. He's the good God, the God of love. But the God of the Old Testament, now that's a man of war. And you know, if Louis were the only person I'd ever heard say that kind of thing, I probably would ignore it. But over the years, I've heard hundreds, now maybe thousands of people say, the God of the Old Testament is different from the God of the New. They talk about the God of the Old Testament as this vengeful God who can't wait to destroy the human race, wipe them out of existence. And he probably would have done it already, they say, if Jesus hadn't stepped in to put a stop to it. They talk about a God who seems to hate us, and a son who has to run interference so we survive. And you know something, after reading through the Bible over and over again, I don't know how many times over the years, I'm not really sure how people come to that conclusion, except that they don't read the whole book. I mean, if you just read parts of the Bible, Maybe you could get that idea, right? God sends a flood to wipe out the planet. He sends fire and brimstone to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. He causes the earth to swallow Korah, Datham, and Abiram. So it kind of looks like it if that's all you read. It does kind of look like God is in the business of wiping out humanity. And of course, the new wave of atheists love to talk about this stuff. 
Richard Dawkins, who seems to be getting angrier with every passing year, said that the God of the Old Testament is, quote, a malevolent bully. Actually, let me pull up the whole quote here because it gets worse than that. And what Dawkins said about God has actually gone viral. Lots of people quote this all the time. So here it is from his book, The God Delusion, page 31. Here's what Dawkins says. The God of the Old Testament is arguably, now at least Dawkins says arguably, the God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction. Jealous and proud of it, a petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty ethnic cleanser, a misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, filicidal, pestilential, megalomaniacal, sadomasochistic, capriciously malevolent bully. Now, that description is a far cry from the picture of God presented in most children's books. And it's a far cry from the picture of Jesus the church has been teaching for about 2,000 years. And naturally, you do have to consider the source. This is a guy who hates God, and he's cherry-picking the Bible to support his point of view. Now, I know Dawkins says he doesn't believe in God, but I'm personally convinced that you can't be mad at someone who doesn't exist. I mean, people just don't get defensive and angry about the Easter Bunny or Santa Claus. So I'm not entirely convinced that Richard Dawkins doesn't believe in God. Personally, I think he's mad at God. He's mad at the church, and I think he chooses not to believe. But whether or not that's actually the case, the way he describes God is no big surprise coming from an atheist apologist. And I could probably ignore it except for the fact that I've heard Christians talk about the Old Testament the same way. I mean, maybe not in the same harsh terms, maybe not in the same angry tone, but I have heard Christians discuss the God of the Old Testament with some pretty unflattering language. The God of the New Testament, he forgives you, but the God of the Old, he condemns you. The God of the New Testament saves you by grace, but the God of the Old Testament makes you earn your salvation. The way they talk, it's almost like there's two gods. Or that God changes his mind at some point, he becomes different. But that makes me wonder how God could possibly tell Malachi, I am the Lord, I do not change. If these people are right, we seem to have a change from the Old Testament to the New. Either that, or we have two members of the Godhead with radically different characters, and they're in a constant struggle with each other. And biblically, that doesn't make sense. Not if you read the whole book. You just can't come to that conclusion, the conclusion that you have two different gods or two members of the Godhead with different personalities. And if you really study the Old Testament, you make a pretty startling discovery. The God of the Old Testament is Jesus. Now, if brand new idea to you, you might want to stick around because I'm going to take a little break and as soon as I come back, I'm going to show this to you. Life and its daily challenges can weigh us down even when we have the best of intentions, leaving us with more questions than answers. Is it possible to have true peace and happiness in life? Are you searching for answers to this and other of life's most challenging questions? The Discover Bible Guides will help you find the answers you're looking for. Visit us at BibleStudies.com or give us a call at 888-456-7933 for your free Discover Bible Guides. Study online or on our secure website or have the free guides mailed right to your home. There is never a cost or obligation. 
The Discover Bible Guides are our free gift to you. Find answers in guides like The Secret of Happiness and Is God Fair? You'll find answers to the things that matter most to you in each of the 26 Discover Bible Guides. Visit BibleStudies.com and begin your journey today to discover answers to life's deepest questions. And we're back. You are listening to The Voice of Prophecy. I am your host, Sean Boonstra, and today we're talking about this idea that the God of the Old Testament is different from the God of the New. And, and just before we went to the break, I said that if you read the Old Testament carefully, you suddenly discover that Jesus is the God of the Old Testament. There is so much evidence for this that I've actually put out a new book on the subject called Jesus Before Jesus. It's a study from the Old Testament that talks about what Jesus was doing before he was actually born in Bethlehem. And I think you'll find this stuff pretty amazing. Right now, I'm offering the book at a ridiculously low price on our website, VOP.com. The price is so good, in fact, you might feel guilty ordering it. (laughs) That's VOP.com. And if you don't see a link to the book right on the homepage, just click on the Store tab and look for Jesus Before Jesus. It's a study of Jesus in the Old Testament that goes into a lot more detail than I can handle in a half-hour radio show. Now, it's time to start studying. And maybe one of the first questions we should ask is whether or not this whole question even matters. I mean, you and I live in the New Testament period right now, so what does it matter how the God of the Old Testament behaved? We have the God of the New Testament. We live under grace. So this doesn't really affect us, right? Except that it does. How you think about God might be one of the most important questions you can ask. If you think God was some kind of moral monster in the Old Testament, that he behaved rather poorly, that he made unreasonable demands, how in the world are you going to trust him in the future? I mean, who's to say that God's not going to change again and go back to being the kind of God that Richard Dawkins seems to think he is? The question of what God is like is a big question. The great Christian writer A.W. Tozer once made a statement about the way we think about God, and that statement was good enough that I just want to read you the whole thing. Here it is from his all-time classic called The Knowledge of the Holy. Listen to what he says. Quote, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The history of mankind will probably show that no people has ever risen above its religion, and man's spiritual history will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. Now, personally, I would say a hearty amen to that statement. If the God you worship is less than perfect, if the God you worship is some kind of arbitrary dictator, then how is that going to affect your relationship with him? If that's the God you worship, then it's going to come out in your own behavior and your own moral choices. Tozer is absolutely right. No religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. And honestly, I think we're seeing some of that right now with groups like ISIS and Al-Qaeda. No religion is ever greater than its conception of God. So, yes, it does matter. And furthermore, It does matter if God has given the human race two different paths to heaven, a hopeless one in the Old Testament based on your own merits, and another one based on the merits of Christ in the New Testament. If there are two ways to earn heaven, one in the Old Testament, another in the New, 
then we have a problem. What does it say about God if he arbitrarily draws a line in the sand and says, look, all the people born before this date have to earn their way to heaven, and all the people born after this date get in by grace through faith? That just doesn't make sense. And all you really have to do to demonstrate how wrong that thinking is, is to read a few passages about creation. Because those passages show us that the Father and the Son have always been in agreement, that they've always worked together, that they've always had the same plan, and they've always had the same set of feelings about you. You don't have one member of the Godhead fighting with another, and you absolutely do not have two plans of salvation. Let me show you what I mean. Maybe the most famous passage in the Bible after John 3.16 is the very first verse. You know the one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, that's simple enough. God created the world. But in Colossians chapter 1, you make this amazing discovery. Listen to this carefully. The context makes it really clear that Paul is talking about Jesus. This is Colossians 1.16. For by him, that's Jesus, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. Jesus is the primary agent of creation. Now, angels worship the Father because he made all things in Revelation 4, but the Bible also says creation happened through Jesus. Here's another passage, John chapter 1. This is also speaking about Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. Now, that's a reference to Christ. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, that makes it clear. Jesus existed before the manger of Bethlehem, and John says Jesus is God. Then it goes on to say in verse 3 that he's the Creator. Listen, verse 3. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Hebrews chapter 1 says it too. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son. Now listen to this. This is Hebrews 1 verse 2. Whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. The Bible's clear in its teaching. Jesus is the Creator. You don't have a creator God who deals with the world harshly in the Old Testament and then a softer, kinder God in the New. There is only one God, which is why in Genesis chapter 1, God says, let us make man in our image. The whole plan for the human race was cooperative. The whole Godhead planned it and participated in it. You have the Father and the Son, and then you have the Spirit of God hovering over the waters of creation. Now, if you happen to be an ancient Gnostic or Martianite heretic, I mean, one of those first century people who had a special gift for twisting the words of the Bible, then you'd be saying the Creator God blew it. That's what they believed. They said the world is full of problems. The Creator made an imperfect world full of mistakes, and then Jesus came to fix the Creator's mistakes. They were actually pitting Jesus against the Creator. Of course, the early Christian church rejected that idea because the Scriptures are clear. Jesus does not fight the Creator. Jesus doesn't argue with the Creator. Jesus is the Creator. The Father and Son are one. There is no adversarial relationship. So, when you hear people getting all excited about the Gospel of Thomas or the Gospel according to Judas, 
when they find all these other so-called secret gospels out in the desert, just remember, there's a really good reason they're out buried in the desert. The early church rejected them. Those books were heresy. They misrepresented the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. The stuff those people wrote does not fit the description of God found in the Bible. And that picture is remarkably clear. The world was made by God. And when the Bible says that, it means all the members of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They have always been in complete agreement. They were in complete agreement about the way the world was designed. And when the human race rebelled, they were in complete agreement as to what the solution would be. Now, as soon as I get back from another little break, I'll show you exactly what I mean. So don't go away. I'm coming right back. Are you searching for answers to life's most difficult questions? Answers to help you make sense of the things that are happening right now in your life? Answers to the deepest questions in life like, can God really forgive me? Guilt and shame can be terrible burdens to carry and can leave us wondering if God really can love us and accept us. Are you wondering if there really is a chance for true happiness in this life? If there is a secret to living a happy, contented life in a world of uncertainty? Well, if you're searching for answers to these and other of life's most challenging questions, we are here to help. The Discover Bible Guides will help you find the answers you're looking for. Visit us at BibleStudies.com or give us a call at our toll-free number, 888-456-7933, for your free Discover Bible Guides. Study online on our secure website or have the free guides mailed right to your home. There is never a cost or obligation. The Discover Bible Guides are our free gift to you. You'll find answers in guides like, Does My Life Really Matter to God? and From Guilty Sinner to Forgiven Saint. You'll find answers to the things that matter most to you in each of the 26 Discover Bible Guides as the major themes of the Bible come to life. Begin your journey to discover answers to life's deepest questions and log on today to BibleStudies.com. And we are back. You are listening to the Voice of Prophecy, and today we're looking at the complete and utter agreement you find between God the Father and God the Son. And the reason I'm looking at that is because so many people look at the God of the Old Testament as somehow radically different from the God of the New. But that idea is hard to prove if you just read the whole book. Not only is Jesus specifically named as the Creator— God the Father is specifically named as the one who gave us the plan of salvation, the one you find described in the New Testament. And where does the Bible say that? It says it in the most famous verse of all, John 3.16. Listen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, let's do it carefully. What does it say about God the Father? He gave his Son. Does that passage say God is mean and vindictive, that the only thing holding him back from wiping you out is the way Jesus runs interference? It doesn't say that at all. It says he loves you so much that he was willing to give up his own son to make sure you would make it. It says that God the Father values you so much he was willing to make the ultimate sacrifice. And that is exactly what Jesus said. He said to his disciples, 
For the Father himself loves you. John chapter 16. If you have seen me, he said, you have seen the Father. Look, when the book of Revelation talks about the plan of salvation, the sacrificial gift of Jesus, it calls Jesus the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Now think about what that means. Before God created the world, and remember, Jesus is the creator. Before God created the world, he already had a plan, just in case we sinned. Just in case we chose to exercise our freedom of choice. God created us with the gift of free will, knowing that we might use that gift to turn against him. And still, he created us, and he developed a plan to save us if it happened. And that plan included giving up his own life. The God who made you is absolutely the same God who saves you. There is no difference between the Old Testament God and the New. There is no difference in the way people found forgiveness in the Old Testament and the way we find it in the New. Everybody, everybody, everybody has always been saved by grace through faith. It's just that the people in the Old Testament had to look forward to the cross by faith, using the symbols of a sacrificial system as a learning aid. You and I are looking back to that same cross, also by faith. It has always, always, always been by grace through faith. You, you know that passage in the book of Romans, the one that sparked Martin Luther's imagination and launched the Protestant Reformation, the just shall live by faith? That was not a New Testament thought. When Paul wrote that, he was actually quoting the book of Habakkuk. He was actually quoting the Old Testament. It has always been by faith. Both Testaments have the same God, the same plan of salvation, and the same love for you. Now, honestly, I don't want to disrespect my good friend old Louis. And, and Louis can't even defend himself because he died quite a few years ago. But honestly, Louis was just plain wrong. There are not two gods with different temperaments. We don't have a bipolar God who is angry and sullen in the Old Testament, but manic and happy in the New. It's the same God. In fact, when God says that he does not change, it's the same thing we read about Jesus in the book of Hebrews. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, just before we go, let me show you something really interesting. And this is something you can find in our new book, Jesus before Jesus. Shortly after the human race tossed aside their relationship with God, shortly after we rebelled, the Bible says that God came to find our parents. It says in Genesis chapter 3, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the evening, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. Now, try to imagine what it would be like to experience fear for the very first time. You and I are so used to it that we barely feel our anxiety some days. But Adam and Eve, they had never felt it before. The Bible said they heard God's voice in the cool of the evening, and they panicked. Now, have you ever wondered what the Bible means when it says that Adam heard God's voice? What would that sound like? Was it a mighty rushing wind, like the sound of God arriving on the day of Pentecost? Or was it a small, still voice, like the one Elijah heard that day on the mountain? Was it like the thunder that Israel heard when God descended on Sinai? What exactly did it sound like when the voice of God came into the garden? Well, obviously, I, I don't really know. 
But the other day, I was reading something really interesting from Rabbi Jonathan Burnus, and this is what he said. Targum onkelos. Now, what's a targum? A targum is an oral commentary on the scriptures. Targum onkelos, which was completed within the first four centuries after Jesus lived, says that Adam, now listen to what he writes, listen carefully, says that Adam and Eve heard the memra of the Lord walking in the garden. Memra, according to the Jewish encyclopedia, means the word. Now, if that's correct, and I don't know for sure that it is, but if it is correct, that means the word came to the garden that day. It was Jesus. And that makes sense because the gospel, according to John, starts by saying that Jesus is the word of God and the word of God created the world. We do not have two gods. The God who made you has always loved you, and the God who made you gave his life to save you. It was Jesus in the garden that day. God the Father and God the Son are working together, both trying to save you. Now, that's just about all the time I've got for today, but just before I leave, let me remind you that we have only scraped the surface. There is all kinds of evidence that Jesus is the God of the Old Testament. He shows up in the Old Testament again and again and again and again. And if you want to see it, if you'd like to learn more, just head on over to our website, VOP.com. That stands for Voice of Prophecy, www.VOP.com, and take a look for our new book, Jesus Before Jesus. It's a good study, and it will teach you how to look for Jesus, how to find him, how to recognize him in the pages of the Old Testament. Again, you'll find it at www.vop.com. And if you don't find it right there on the homepage, then go to the store tab where you're going to find your copy offered at a price that I don't think you're going to want to miss. I want you to have this thing. I want you to see it for yourself. We've made this book a really good deal because I want you to have it. I'm hoping that it will help you develop the ability to see Jesus on every page, every chapter, in every verse of the Bible. So that's Jesus before Jesus, and you'll find it at VOP.com. And that takes me to the end of the time that I've got today. I am out of it. So until next time, I'm Sean Boonstra. You've been listening to The Voice of Prophecy. Are you searching for answers to life's most challenging questions? Answers to help you make sense of the chaos in today's world. Answers to the deepest questions in life, like, how can I know that Jesus was real? Was he more than a man, and how do I even know the stories of his time on earth are true? How can I know that the Bible is something that I can believe today? And questions like, if the Bible is true, well, what happens next after this life? Is there really a heaven? And in this world of uncertainty, you might be wondering, is there actually a chance for true happiness in this life? Disappointments like illness and loss of employment can hang like clouds over our lives. Life's daily, routine challenges can be overwhelming, and even the things that once made us happy can begin to seem empty. Is it really possible to have a happy, contented life in such an uncertain world? Well, if you're searching for answers to these and other of life's biggest questions, we are here to help. The Discover Bible Guides will help you find the answers you're looking for. Visit us at BibleStudies.com or give us a call at our toll-free number, 
1-800-227-7933 for your free Discover Bible Guides. Study online at our website, BibleStudies.com, or have the free guides mailed right to your home. There is never a cost or obligation. The Discover Bible Guides are our free gift to you. At BibleStudies.com, you'll find answers in guides like A Second Chance at Life and Does My Life Really Matter to God? Answers to the things that matter most to you in each of the 26 Discover Bible Guides. The major themes of the Bible come to life as we study together guides like When Jesus Comes for You and From Guilty Sinner to Forgiven Saint. At BibleStudies.com, you will find the Discover Bible Guides in nearly 50 languages, including Spanish, Japanese, Tagalog, and Russian. Begin your journey to discover answers to life's deepest questions and log on today to BibleStudies.com. <music>